Good morning, and welcome to Crossroads of Rockland History. I'm Claire Sheridan from the Historical Society of Rockland County, and today we'll turn our attention to Palisades and Sneedon's Landing with my guest, Alice Girard. The Historical Society of Rockland County is a nonprofit educational institution and principal repository for original documents and artifacts relating to Rockland County. Our headquarters are a four-acre site featuring a history museum and the 1832 Jacob Lawveld House located at 20 Zucker Road in New City. It's listed on the National Register of Historic Places and a newly designated New York State Path Through History site. Part of our broad and challenging mission is to share the history of Rockland County with the public, and we rely on financial support from membership and donations from people just like you. To learn how you can become a member or to volunteer, please visit our website at rocklandhistory.org. So welcome, Alice Gerard, to Crossroads of Rockland History. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Claire. I appreciate your inviting me. So before we launch into our discussion about Palisades and your latest project, tell our listeners a little bit about your background. I moved with my family to Palisades in 1941 and have lived there ever since, except for being away in college. My mother was a historian in Palisades, and after I retired, she finally persuaded me to become a historian, too, and I've taken over her work. How about Palisades? Tell us a little bit about the early history of the area. Well, in 1685, uh, Dr. George Lockhart from New York City bought 3,400 acres. It was called the Lockhart Patent. Two years later, he sold it to William Merritt, who was the mayor of New York a little later on. All his traffic was by river. There were no roads at the time. Merritt's daughter had married Lockhart's son. And Merritt built a house called Cheer Hall right on the river, which was an important place. There was a land use dispute for about 100 years, and they kept meeting at Merritt's house to settle it. It finally did, I think in 1769. But Merritt sold his house in 1705 to Captain John Corbett, who died in 1717, and the house was rented later on by other people. The name that we often think about for the area of Sneedon's Landing really wasn't in use until much later. That's true. Robert Sneedon, who had moved to Dobbs Ferry from East Chester, married a girl there who was the sister of the man who ran the ferry from Dobbs Ferry. And he moved to Cheer Hall in the 1740s, probably. He bought it in 1752 and started running the ferry from this side. And so that area was called the Landing, but the whole community was called Rockland until the end of the 19th century. So tell us a little bit about the Sneedon family. Well, Robert's wife, Molly, was a kind of legendary figure. She had 12 children, and he died shortly after they bought the house, so she started running the ferry with her teenage sons. And she was supposed to have been able, actually, to shoot 100 passenger pigeons with one shot. And during the war, the whole Sneedon family were Tories, except for John. And Molly was supposed to have hidden a British soldier in a chest Uh, in her house and the Americans came looking for him and she put a pan of cream on top and said don't don't disturb the cream it has to settle so are there any other significant 18th century people that are interesting about the area oh yes Jonathan Lawrence Jr. whose family bought a house that Corbett's 
daughter had built up on the 9W now called the Big House. Jonathan Lawrence was a captain in the Revolutionary Army and was our Revolutionary War hero. And then in the 19th century, we really know so much about the area from the Gesner Diary, don't we? Yes. Yes, we really do. Tell us about the diary and how you became involved in in transcribing it. Well, my mother discovered the diary in 1943 when she helped to move the Palisades Library from the big house where it was to the community center. And she worked on it for about 50 years. It's 1,600 pages long. She only got to about page 400, worked with other people. And... After she died, I realized her historical work had been so important, I had been resisting carrying on with it, but I decided to finish it. So I started in January 2013 and finished in May 2014. So this is an extraordinarily detailed group of diaries. How many volumes are we talking about? Four volumes, 1,600 pages and notes, of course, and pictures. And it's a treasure trove of information. So tell us logistically how you managed to sort of take the baton from your mother's work and and continue to transcribe it. Well, I owe a lot to Peter Scheibner, the Rockland County archivist. The Gessner Diary had been copied by the New York Public Library and created, four volumes were created which were in the library, but they didn't circulate. And so that would have been very hard to work from. But Peter took the original diaries and had them microfilmed copied and made into a PDF file, which I could use on my computer and enlarge. And Gessner's writing is difficult to decipher. So that's really what made it possible. We often talk about uh, cursive writing and how difficult it is to to read it, um, even if you know how to read cursive. And we hear a lot that cursive is no longer being taught in schools. And I wonder if down the road, how will people transcribe? <laughs> I mean, it's hard enough to read cursive when you yes. know cursive. Yes. Did, did you find that the, the ability to enlarge the, the writing was helpful to you? Yes, but Nicholas's writing is actually beautiful. The problem is that he uses lots of abbreviations, which only he knows. For instance, there's a very important uh, woman named Polly Conklin, and he sh- she was depicted in the diary by a squiggle. So you had to know that. So he used his own version of shorthand. Yes, yes. So I understand the plans are for you to create a summary from the transcription so that it's a little more readable for people. Well, what I'm going to write is a biography of Nicholas Gessner. Oh, wonderful. I feel I know him like an old friend. And he was, you know, a cantankerous old gentleman, but but really very talented, very interesting, a strong person. And it really is a wonderful primary source for yes. 19th century Rockland County, isn't it? Yes. Do we know if there's anybody other than you and your mom who've read through the entire 1,600 pages? Well, there was a 19th century Palisades historian, Winter Gilman, who probably did. And he puts some of the diary into a book he wrote called The Story of the Fairy. And then Carl Nordstrom, who wrote... Uh, a book about Nyack, actually, Mm -hmm. probably read through it, and he wrote about Nicholas's financial affairs because they were interesting. That's one of the things about the diary. If you're interested in kinds of plants that people planted then or how they spent their money, all of that is in there. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Along with Nicholas Gesner, the Lawrence family is important to speak about when you talk about Palisades, right? Yes. What happened was that uh, Palisades was really thriving at the beginning of the 
19th century, and they were building sloops down at the landing, and they were sending lots of agricultural produce to the city. But when the sloops were replaced by the steamships, Palisades began to suffer. It was too shallow for the steamships to come in close to shore, and people didn't want the sloops anymore, and Palisades was too small to build steamships. So people were willing to sell land to the rich New Yorkers who began to come out on the railroad, which opened in 1860 and made it so easy to get here. And Herbert Lawrence and his wife Lydia started coming in 1860 and spending summers in Palisades. And in 1876, they built a huge house called Cliffside. And they owned lots of land because people were willing to sell their houses. They had a daughter named Mary Tonetti who was a queer duck, people have called her. She was interested in sculpture. She wasn't interested in clothes. She shone with the dog in every picture of her. And she was sort of awkward, and, but she was very talented. And uh, she studied with Auguste Saint-Gaudin, and he actually asked her to create a monumental sculpture of Columbus for the Chicago Exposition at the end of the... 19th century. And in 1900, she married an Italian sculptor named Francois Tonetti, and they had five children, and she inherited all her parents' houses, had lots of artistic friends, and began to rent the houses at very low prices to her friends. So they really transformed Sneedon's Landing, what we now call Sneedon's Landings, from a little village to sort of the grand enclave that we think of today, right? Yes. 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 Uh, You're listening to WRCR and Crossroads of Rockland History. I'm Claire Sheridan from the Historical Society of Rockland County. Today I'm speaking with Alice Gerard, the Palisades historian and published author who has just finished transcribing The Diary of Nicholas Gesner, a very important primary source of 19th century Rockland County history. Mary Lawrence, in inviting these artistic people from New York to Palisades, really transformed it in the first half of the 20th century, right? Yes. But it was not it was not a fancy place. You know, the rents were very low. The houses were kind of shabby. So tell us about some of the people that she drew to Palisades. Almost anybody you can think of in the arts. John Steinbeck, Sinclair Lewis, John Dos Passos, Catherine Cornell, Gertrude Lawrence, Noel Coward, Archibald MacLeish, Orson Welles, Vivian Lee, Lawrence Olivier, and Ethel Barrymore all rented there. That's amazing. Yes. And is there a, a record of what houses they rented or where they were specifically or not so much? Not so much because the Tonetti documents have all kind of disappeared. We know for some of the houses. And uh, Lawrence Olivier and Vivian Lee had a sailboat called the, the Fiddle Dee, you know? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> which, which they left to the teenagers in the community. And I inherited it from... Uh, a guy named Peter Gray, and I sailed it for a few years, and then I passed it on. But we all have memories of these people. That's great. So Palisades is a village that has a historic district. Yeah. There are a few in the county, but tell us about the historic district of Palisades. Well, Tappan started the first historic district in 1965. Three years later, a group of Palisadians created and added to the Tappan one, and my husband was one of them. What area does it include in in Palisades? It's hard to describe, but it includes the areas that include most of the older houses. So uh, down Closter Dock Road and into Sneedon's Landing. Yes. Has it been difficult over the years to maintain the historic area? No. 
uh, actually in 1995, the laws were redone and a few houses were added and one taken off. But there have been disagreements between the historic board and house builders uh, for years off and on. And there was a big uh, difficult business in the 1990s because many people in Tapan wanted to put vinyl siding on their houses and the historic board wouldn't let them. Yes, that that's <laughs> definitely something that uh, creates a little stir. So Palisade and Sneedon's Landing continues to draw interesting people, including people from the entertainment industry, authors, playwrights. Do you think it's it's the privacy of the area that, that draws them to it? I think partly the privacy and the beauty. It's right on the river. It is beautiful. But also, I'm afraid, it's partly the cachet of the name. You've written extensively, as did your mother write yes. extensively, about Palisades. Tell us some of the books that you've published and that your mother published about the area. My mother, in 1986, after working on it for 40 years, published Palisades and Sneedon's Landing. It's a wonderful book. I think it has 175 pages of text and 175 pages of appendices. <laughs> And uh, in 2005, I published a sequel, Palisades and Seedon's Landing in the 20th Century. And then I did one um, for the Historical Society called Adventures from the Past about real children who lived in the past and stories from their lives. And then I've done one called Story Sneedon's Landing and one Historic Houses of Palisades, New York. They, they've been fun to do. Tell our listeners your mother's name so they know. Yes, Alice Hagenson. She actually received an award from the, the Historical Society of Rockland County. Yes, she was a wonderful, wonderful yeah. author, and her book is, I, I go back to it all the time. So it's a wonderful resource and um, extremely well footnoted, as you said. The appendices yes. are thorough, yes. and, um, and the photos are are fascinating. What happened to the photos that were used in that book? I have them. You do? Wonderful. I have all of her historical records That's because great. she lived in my house for 10 years at the end of her life. Excellent. <laughs> and and your your book about the, the lives of children yes. was used as part of the New York State history curriculum, oh, really? wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, parts of it were published in the texts okay. that all the children of New York State used. So that's wonderful. Oh, I'm so happy. Did I you didn't know you that. didn't know that? Oh, yeah, oh, it was oh. absolutely in the because Colonial America is part of I think the fourth yes. grade curriculums in New yeah. York. So lots of children were able to read that through Good. that, which is Good. wonderful. If listeners want to learn more about Palisades, what books? or articles would you recommend for them? I think my mother's book, Palisades and Sneedon's Landing, it's out of print, but I republished it. And actually, I corrected all the things she had wanted corrected, the mistakes she found. So probably I should give you a new PDF version. Oh, very good. <laughs> for your library. Excellent. That's and then my sequel to it, because that covers Palisades from the beginning to uh, 2000. That's great. So at this point, because of the cachet and, and the sort of exclusivity of the area, are you finding that some of these charming old older houses are being, I mean, despite the fact that it's a historic district, that doesn't prevent someone from tearing a house down and rebuilding. So tell no. me a little bit about, about what's happening there. We have a number of houses for sale, and at least three of them are older houses. They're all on the historic register, and we're worried. One is the oldest house in Palisades, uh, built in 1737, the big house. Another, the Captain John house, was built in 1800, maybe on the market. And another was built in 1830. 
and were really worried. The Gessner house, where Nicholas Gessner lived, fortunately was just sold to a young couple from Brooklyn who love the house and its history and want to preserve it and restore it. So there are some good, there is some good news. And uh, recently, the manse across from the Palisades yes. Presbyterian Church was restored. So yes. beautiful okay. job. Yeah. But one house on two houses on Woods Road have been torn down, and one of them is about to be torn down, one of those two, and we're very sad about it. It was a charming house. Yeah, it really is sad. Um, but as I said, just because something is designated as historic, even on the National Register, yeah. that does not take away the, the, the chance that it could be torn down. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of pressure in Palisades for uh, those of us who are local historians to work with other people to try and do something with the historic law that would both help to reduce the size of newer houses and at least encourage people not to tear them down. And when, when a newcomer is interested in a house, how do you find out, for example, how did you f meet the people who were going to uh, purchase the Gesner house? I haven't met them yet. Oh, okay. I'm sure I will. Okay. But I know the Gesner, I know the Kellogg girls whose parents owned the house. So that's how I heard about okay, that. Okay, very good. Yeah. And are there a lot of uh, what, would, what one would call sort of people living there who've lived there like you, who've lived there for many years and, in fact, inherited houses from their parents? A few. A few. But, you know, it's, it's getting harder and harder. And many of the new people who come only come for weekends, which is destructive to the community in a way. Yes, well, as there are changes and, and updates to that historic area, we definitely want to be kept in, in the loop, so yeah. we want to do whatever we can to help. So, And I happen to live in Orangetown, so I'm, I'm interested. I live yeah. in the historic district in Tapan, so I, I'm very interested in, in making sure those those stay as they are because it's these charming areas are what draw a lot of people to our community. Yes. So there's certainly, I, you know, I believe in progress, but there's certainly some benefit to maintaining the historic features yes. that are so uh, special in our community. Tell us a little bit about uh, when you think your biography of Nicholas Gesner will be, will be ready. Oh, sometime next year. Next year. Okay. I, I've gone through everything, and I've made notes, and I just have to kind of wait for inspiration instead. <laughs> I want to make it interesting. <laughs> right. Of but also, also truthful. To sort of crystallize 1,600 pages into, yes. that, that can't be easy. No, and it, it starts out in such a fascinating way. He starts the diary as a way of keeping a record on the actions of his neighbor Polly, who is his niece by marriage. Uh, Fourteen years before, Polly had borrowed money from him because her husband died leaving her with five or six children and no money. And in exchange, she was going to provide him with food and fix his clothes and so on. She lived next door to him in his father's old house. He had a perfectly good wife, but he was eating his meals at Polly's. He starts the diary because he feels she's not paying him enough attention. And when he says in the first line, went to Haverstraw, he doesn't mean he went to Haverstraw, he meant Polly went to Haverstraw. He keeps a record on the side of the page of how many hours and days she's away. Wow. And so their relationship is perfectly fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Well, would you be able to read some, some excerpts from the diary for us? Yes, I have two, and they give okay, an great. idea of Nicholas's style. Wonderful. This is June 15, 1833. A pretended botanist and stranger passed my door today pretended to cure rheumatism and also the fever and egg in 13 or 14 hours and never to have it again. 
Also the salt rheumatism, the toothache in two minutes, with many other complaints. His upper lip was unshorn, had on it long hair, said he had been educated a regular bred physician in France, had been in Canada as much as 15 or 16 years among the Indians there and had acquired knowledge of botanical medicine. I fancy his long lip beard was a stratagem to make people believe he knew something. And he could speak well, but instead of French, I think he is Irish by his tongue. I got a plaster of him for Jake, four shillings, a man with him who carried his medicine. And then there's another on April 1st, 1831. This day, we had correct information that Jacob Conklin died, being ill about three only hours. Died yesterday about 9 o'clock a.m. It is also related that Elmira, his unlawful wife, a few days ago, while Jacob Conklin was up at Rockland, which was Palisades, went to be married again. <clears throat> the carriage overset, and she broke her arm, which interrupted this beastly woman from performing this act applied to a doctor who knew her design, it is said, told her she must go somewhere else. He would not set it, etc. This is now reported. But the poor mortified man is dead, supposed with the cholera. But circumstances present to the mind the question, don't you think perhaps a dose of laudanum or poison has been taken or given him? This man was the most deplorable victim of mortifying affection for a beastly woman an unclean strumpet, so said, that ever was, etc. She proved a total destruction to him, his peace, his constitution, by drinking and harassing him, sold his property last May, and she had consumed nearly all. He was married to her, and she had a husband living, no divorce, a stinking beast. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he was, he was great. So, I, I mean, it must be... Just fun to, yeah. to read that. Yeah. Well, you know, that's these are the sort of the, the raisins in the cake. The day-to-day -day business, what the weather was like and what crops were planted and who he hired, that's what three-fourths of it is. Well, those are fantastic. Well, I can't wait till next year when we, when we get the full, the full biography. That'll be fantastic. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Alice Girard, author and Palisades historian, for joining me. Well, thank you so much, Claire. Remember that a listing of everything we talked about, as well as a recording of this broadcast, will be on our website at rocklandhistory.org. And I hope you will tune in to the next Crossroads of Rockland History on Monday, May 16th, right after the Steve and Jordan morning show at 10, 10 a.m. Our topic will be Skunk Hollow, a fascinating and little-known enclave that existed on the border between New York and New Jersey. We'll hear from archaeologist Joan Geismar, who wrote her doctorate dissertation on this incredible place. I hope you will tune in. That's Monday, May 16th at 10, 10 a.m. And May is Historic Preservation Month, and uh, the Historical Society will celebrate that by presenting the County Executive's Historic Preservation Merit Awards. For over 25 years, we have presented awards in recognition of outstanding historic preservation efforts in Rockland County. The awards for preservation efforts on homes, businesses, and structures, both modest and grand, help to get out the word that it's in everyone's interest to restore and retain the richness of the past. We will present these awards at a country supper on May 15th. Please visit the Historical Society's website at rocklandhistory.org or call us at 845-634-9629 to find out about this program 
and everything else that is coming up at the Historical Society. A great way to keep up with what's happening is to follow us on Facebook, and we also tweet regularly, and you can find us on Tumblr through Crossroads of Rockland History's blog. And don't forget that many of our broadcasts are archived at rocklandhistory.org. Just go to our landing page and type radio programs in the search box. I'm Claire Sheridan. Thanks for listening to Crossroads of Rockland History on WRCR and WRCR.com.